Hello everybody, this is episode 2 of Gaming's Lost Memories, titled Final Fantasy XIII, The Game That Broke My Soul. <laughs> now, I laugh a little bit when I, I kind of say that title, because that title's going to sound, uh, you know, kind of crazy or dramatic, and there's a lot of context uh, to, you know, that opinion or that feeling, and it's not as bad as it's going to be once this kind of all plays out. Um, but there's a lot of context, you know, about Final Fantasy uh, as a series that's, geez, like what, 30 plus, like 30, 35 years old uh, at this point, you know, originating on the NES with the original Final Fantasy. Uh, and, you know, honestly, Final Fantasy is one of my absolute favorite franchises of all time. But I I've noticed a lot with uh, video game franchises or IPs in general, especially like the, the long tenured ones. So Final Fantasy, Mario, Zelda, Sonic, you know, you, you can throw like 20 other ones in there as well. Castlevania. Um, there's games that I, I like, and then there's some games where uh, not as much. And, you know, Final Fantasy 13 kind of falls into the latter. But what's important here is not only the context of the series, of the video game industry at the time that this game was announced and when it subsequently released, uh, also, but, you know, kind of where I was at too. Um, so, Final Fantasy 13 for me, was my most hyped game of all time. So to put this into a little bit of perspective, <laughs> which leads to the game breaking my soul, and I, I can look back on it a little bit different. I processed a lot of these complex emotions. Um, but this was the most excited I've ever been for a video game. And, and there's several reasons why. So uh, the first is, you know, in my life, you know, I had, you know, gotten out of the military uh, fairly recently. Um, so I want to say I got out in, you know, mid 2009 or something like that. Uh, and the game came out in 2010. So March of 2010. Um, so just at that point as well, uh, you know, like when you're younger, you know, when you're a kid and especially during that time where the internet wasn't quite what it was as it is now, the, the getting information, you know, pretty much came from magazines or just kind of like talking to other people, you know, at school, you know, hey, oh my gosh, you're, you're coming out with a new game. It's like, whoa, you know. And then also when you're really young, you don't have money. <laughs> you kind of hope that, you know, a game that you've been interested in comes around at birthday time or Christmas time or, you know, something like that. Um, but I was unbelievably hyped. So some of the funny things that I did about, you know, about being so hyped was I had a <laughs> an iPod Touch uh, that was gifted to me and... That was like my first experience with like a smart device. Um, and I remember there was, I don't even think it exists anymore, a Final Fantasy 13 like countdown app that somebody made, just like a third party, not official. Um, around that time, there was a lot of like uh, the app store for Apple was a little bit of a wild west. But I, I remember you would take a look at it and it had um, artwork and then it was a countdown. So it would have like a timer running of, as to when the game launched, you know, um, uh, in North America and worldwide, basically, it released in Japan about a few months earlier. But long story short, it was really cool. Like you could you you tap it, you check the artwork. It had a countdown timer that was always displayed, showed you different art of the characters and everything like that. Um, I pre-ordered because I, I was still in a, a big Xbox 360 gamer as opposed to the PlayStation 3. Um, I pre-ordered the Final Fantasy 13 Xbox 360 Special Edition with like the big hard drive and the game and all that stuff. 
um, my my friend was, from the military was actually going to come up to hang out. And, you know, once it launched, we were going to go pick it up at midnight um, and then go back to my house and just like start playing the game. He was getting the PS3 version. I was getting the 360 version. But I even remember looking on like eBay <laughs> and finding the Final Fantasy Final Fantasy 13 um, collector's edition. Um, what would you call them? Energy drinks. Uh, so like sugary beverages. And I was about to import those. And that was like, you know, a uh, hundred dollars or so. Um, but the uh, the energy drinks were going to be imported, which was even funnier because um, they, they were coming right from japan at the time so like my my hype levels and you know partially i think final fantasy 13 led to skyrim and skyrim was the last game that i was hyped about and that'll be another podcast because there was a huge event that we had that was just an absolute blast that we references uh skyrim weekend but going into this game um i my hype levels were probably too high um, because if your if your expectations are too high, you know sometimes you can you can be let down. Where if you go in with uh, you know reasonable <laughs> expectations for a game, um, that can kind of you know temper it a little bit. But it's also coming from Final Fantasy, which is the premier. You maybe you could maybe argue that, or maybe Dragon Quest. You know they're under the same banner now uh, with Square Enix, but. Maybe those two series are probably like the the premier standard for JRPGs, you know, historically. Um, Final Fantasy, I mean, I loved 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, uh, 10, 12, up until that point. Like, loved, 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 loved those games. Like, absolutely just had a blast playing through so many of those experiences. And I think when you have a large intellectual property, especially when it comes to, like, nerd stuff or you know, things that people can be, you know, a fan of Final Fantasy, as they try to strive and change just like other franchises, I always reference, you know, Mario and Zelda, because I feel like Nintendo has done a phenomenal job of changing how those games play. And most every title, you get a different experience, but they also add things that bring in new people to it. You know what I mean? So it's not just like, somebody who's been playing Mario for 30 years can go into, you know, the game liking it. They will, but also somebody that's never played a single Mario game in their life can go into the newest Mario game and enjoy it. So Square Enix really, they had a lot going against them. So historically you, you take a look at it's generation seven, right? So you have the 360, the Wii and the PlayStation three. Um, so not only do you have new consoles releasing when they announced it. So th- this is another interesting thing about final fantasy 13 is it was announced at E3, so Sony's E3, like PlayStation 3 conference, this is like, I want to say 2006, maybe 2005 or 2006, when the game was like announced. Um, And I think they just had a trailer or a video from what I remember. I don't think they had any like gameplay then. But here's what's really interesting. They announced Final Fantasy 13, Final Fantasy 13 Versus, and then like Final Fantasy 13... Uh, Agido or something. I, I cannot remember what that one is called. That eventually came out on either like the PSP or Vita. But long story short, those three games were all announced at the same time, you know, taking place in the same kind of style, I guess you would say, but they weren't like story related to each other. 
Final Fantasy 13 Versus became Final Fantasy 15. Uh, so those that don't know that, uh, that is absolutely crazy that 13 and 13 Versus were announced at the same time and 13 Versus ended up becoming 15 due to that's like a whole other podcast. But, you know, it, it's announced. Everybody starts getting hyped and Square Enix is kind of subjected to the Final Fantasy brand being larger than life. And that's that's a very difficult place to be in because, you know, what if Final Fantasy 13 released exactly as is, but under a completely different, like a, a smaller developer with a different name? Um, you would take a look at the production values and like so many different aspects of Final Fantasy 13 and whatever it would have been called in that, you know, scenario that I'm making up. And I, I think people might have looked at it a little bit better than how they looked at it because it had the final fantasy title. Um, and that's something that's just, that's just difficult for developers. Uh, there's really no two ways around it. Like once you, once you have that brand and you have that larger than life, you know, intellectual property that's been around for 30 plus years, that's pretty much synonymous with, you know, video games in general and especially RPGs. But it, it is kind of, a a little bit victim to that Final Fantasy name. So I do think, you know, myself included, Final Fantasy 13 is coming from a very, you know, important pedigree in the gaming industry. So it's kind of difficult to remove it and be like, okay, well, what, what are we comparing this to? Well, Final Fantasy 11 was an MMO. Uh, Final Fantasy 12 was, you know, probably that was the last one, right? So Final Fantasy 12, uh, weird. But absolutely loved that game. Like that, that game really went on on a limb to change things up, and you know, th there's a lot of probably arguments there of like who likes the battle system and who doesn't. But I absolutely love that game. And then coming to, you know, a new set of consoles, a new generation, and a new outlook on the video game industry too. So I kind of want to discuss something else that Final Fantasy 13 is impacted by that has changed a lot. And this is probably going to sound like, well, of course, you know, this has been thrown around forever, but the term JRPG or Japanese role-playing game, um, you can probably find, you know, that being like loosely used before, but the sixth generation to the seventh generation, like of consoles, uh, PC, like whatever you want to call it when you tie them all together, Somewhere in between there, like mid-2000s or so, people started specifying Japanese role-playing games and your more Western open-world role-playing games. Uh, some could even say that it used to be argued back in the day, like years and years and years ago. You know, console RPGs and then uh, PC RPGs. Um, you could definitely argue that as well. But that's one thing that I distinctly remember is that term grow if it was if it was already in place it wasn't as popular as it is now so now where if you're saying like hey you know you're talking to somebody and you're looking for a, a recommendation of you know like some type of rpg you'll you'll specify most of the time um because they, they do have completely different tones and different feels different tropes so western rpgs versus japanese rpgs but that's something else that's pretty interesting that Final Fantasy 13 was kind of, you know, going against. You know, you go back to Final Fantasy 7, which I think Square Enix was really trying to model, you know, lightning after cloud. 
um, and also trying, I think they were kind of like looking at that as their base. Like how can we kind of replicate Final Fantasy VII, you know, in a new game, in a new style for a new generation of consoles, but a new generation of gamers and everything as well. Uh, I really do like looking at it. I really do think they were kind of going for that with, um, you know, designs and styles and everything like that, but trying to use that as a very loose foundation and then build a new experience with new characters on top of that. Um, but coming from all of that, Final Fantasy VII, I don't remember anyone specifying that was a JRPG at the time. Which is absolutely crazy, because with Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy VII, there used to be a PlayStation demo disc. And I remember my cousins, uh, they, you know, I had a 64, they had a PlayStation. But I remember them playing, like, the opening of Final Fantasy VII. And they are not, like... RPG players or like, you know what I mean? Like they were, they were more casual with what they played, but it was interesting seeing them play that. Uh, and then of course seeing the typo of like that scorpion boss in the beginning <laughs> where it's like, okay, it's tells up attack. And then he like blast you into oblivion. Um, but I remember my cousin, uh, saying something along the lines of, oh yeah, when you fight this boss, this is level 70. So they kind of viewed it as like your old school, like Mario levels, like level one, level two, level three, like how games used to be. So that was just kind of like interesting seeing Final Fantasy perceived in that light, because even though I think 13 and 15 have sold more copies, like Final Fantasy seven was mainstream, like absolutely crazy. And I don't ever remember games of that era being references. Oh, this is a Japanese role playing game. Like it just, it just wasn't there yet. So with Final Fantasy 13, Square Enix is coming into the seventh generation of consoles, which Japanese developers really struggled in the beginning. Um, so this is a few years removed from that. But, you know, not only the perception of Japanese games was just really odd around that time with those console launches. Like the Xbox 360 was just insanely popular. It was blowing the doors off the PlayStation 3 uh, in terms of like sales and market base and everything like that. Now, the Wii was its own like little side thing. We won't go into that too much right now. Um, but saying all of that, uh, it was just a unique time because not only were you, you know, having HD graphics like, you know, consoles had HDMI ports at this time. Um, the entire perception of the industry was just different, not only for like Japanese games, but for role playing games specifically. So Square Enix is kind of coming into, you know, they built a new game engine for this. That, that took a long time. So there was a lot of delays with their, their engine. So their idea was we're going to create a new video game engine so we can pump out games a little bit quicker and easier. And I think you could argue, you know, with Final Fantasy 15, that not being the case, uh, and also the delays of 13. But you have new hardware, you have a new generation, you have a new perception of, you know, what is considered Japanese role-playing games at this time. And you have a staple of... Final Fantasy in the game industry as well. Like there was just so much working. I, I don't want to say like against, but that's really what it felt like. There was just a lot that could potentially, you know, be seen in a negative light as they're approaching, you know, four or five different unique scenarios that are all changing as they work on a new game engine, as they work on a their, you know, first, I think HD Final Fantasy. I don't know if you would consider 11 high, high definition. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not actually sure because uh, it was on PC, so I guess technically it could have been. Uh, so I do apologize. I do play the main Final Fantasies. I haven't played the MMOs of 11 and 14 too much. But saying all of that, 
there was just a lot of change and a lot of different aspects to what Final Fantasy 13 was going, you know, to be, right? Uh, and on top of that, I'm hyped, like, to the gills. I, I could not have been more excited, not only because Final Fantasy 12 completely surprised me, uh, to be honest, I wasn't expecting to like that, you know, coming off of Final Fantasy X. So Final Fantasy X, you got... Uh, an old school battle system, an absolutely incredible story, uh, no levels, like they completely changed everything with how you level with the sphere grid, just such an interesting game. And coming from that, man, I, that game brings like a tear to my eye. Like that story is just, whew. Uh, then you come to Final Fantasy 12. I wasn't expecting anything with it. Like, I feel like it just popped out at the end of the PlayStation two life cycle. And they're like, Hey, everything's different. But you know, what's really cool is, you know, the leveling system, the gambit system, um, you know, uh, all the characters are really interesting. Like the, the world's open and different. It just, it, it was kind of like the first segue into Final Fantasy being different. But I love 12. And then you come into 13. So now Square Enix is, like I said, bringing this to a new generation of gamers, a new generation of HD consoles, and a different gaming industry than what they've ever seen before. Where the the Western developers, you know, the Western, you know, Xbox being wildly popular, everything just was so different heading in to what Final Fantasy 13 would be. Um, so you, you go back to me. So my perception is I'm unbelievably hyped. Like I, I can't even sleep. I'm, you know, checking everything out, using apps that, <laughs> about to import energy drinks. Uh, I ended up not doing it because I was like, I don't know if I can justify spending like $200 for a case of these. Uh, and we're going to drink them in like six seconds. <laughs> and they were being sold as like a collector's item on eBay. I'm like, I don't know about this. Um, but yeah, so you go to kind of launch night. And what's really interesting is uh, I don't know if I had a computer then. I think I had a laptop. But still, even at that time, I hadn't start use like using smart devices outside of the iPod Touch, uh, and I didn't really browse the web on it too much. So I, I did go largely into Final Fantasy thirteen, somewhat blind a little bit. Like I knew, um, you know, kind of about the game. I knew the battle system was going to be different, but I, I honestly didn't want things too spoiled. Um, like I was really excited for it, but I, I didn't want to dive into it too much. I especially now. I try not to do that with video games in general. Um, you know, I, I don't really follow releases too much. Like, I'll know when games come out. Um, you know, I'll read the reception, the reviews, all that stuff. You know, go on the message boards and kind of see, like, how the community feels about it. But I did largely kind of go into this one, you know, open, I would say. So me and my buddy, we go to the midnight release I would say it was a pretty healthy midnight release. Uh, I don't think it was as crazy as like Call of Duty or, you know, uh, some of the Halos like at the time. Like I, I remember a little bit earlier, or I think it might have been earlier, but I, I remember the Halo uh, launch, like Halo 3 being absolutely huge. But th there was a good amount of people there. Like they had a midnight release for it. You know, I go there, I'm pumped. I get my console. Uh, my buddy picks up the Blu-ray on one disc. Final Fantasy 13 was on, I think, three discs on the Xbox. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he had his one fancy Blu-ray disc. That was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, so we, we pick it up. We drive back to my house. At this point, I'm I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm sleepy. Uh, I like to go to bed early, so it, <laughs> I don't stay up for midnight releases anymore. Um, 
But saying all of that, you know, we get back and we do the installations. So the Xbox 360, I think the I think the PlayStation 3 could do it as well. I can't recall too much, but um, you could actually like download the disc onto your hard drive. Um, and then when your disc is in, it'll just like boot up quicker. Uh, and it was kind of fun, too, because like my friend was playing his PlayStation 3 copy next to me, like set up. He's got his little like TV stand set up. And then like right next to him, I got my Xbox 360 version running. And before the installation, you could definitely tell the the PlayStation Three version was a little bit faster. Um, but after the installation, it was it was a lot closer. Um, I can't remember if it it ran better on um, the three sixty, but I, I do think it was designed more for the PlayStation Three just in general. Um, that was kind of you know after the Final Fantasy Seven debacle where Square and Nintendo kind of quit being friends for a little while there. Um, Final Fantasy became synonymous with PlayStation. That's just where you played it. So it was really cool seeing you know it be on Xbox 360 because I, I love Japanese games. I just like the Xbox 360 as my primary console at the time. So we get back and we start it, right? So this is kind of where, for better or for worse, the game shows you what it is. And at the end of the day, what Final Fantasy 13 tries to do is take you through an interwoven story. I, I think everything's with a 13 moniker. It's across like the 13 days, like it takes place across 13 days. Um, and you have, you know, I want to say six playable characters and then a, a cast of like supporting characters and everything like that. But it's really heavily story driven, but done so more in a linear way. And I, I hate using that word um, because Final Fantasy 13, one of the biggest complaints about it is you say it's linear. Well, what does that mean? Because having structure and having a path in a game is not a bad thing. And you can do it in a more open world and kind of let players do what they want and a game still be linear. I'll give you an example. Mass Effect 2, one of my favorite games of all time, um, like one of my favorite stories. The game's linear, Somewhat. Now, hear me out here, right? Because you're probably going to be like, hey, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right, Big Reed. Um, there's a beginning. There's a middle. There's an end. There's The game's super structured. You have all your characters. You can do loyalty missions to get them all amped up. But you go to your map, and you can pick which missions you want to do. It's linear, though. Like It's like, here's what you can do. It's not like it's a sandbox, open world, just like go, right? Um, and that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Structure... And, um, you know, guiding a story or guiding a game is not a bad thing at all. So I want that to be you know understood before I kind of get into this a little bit. Um, so being linear isn't bad. Taking away player choice and making them play a specific way and locking elements of the game for a really long period of time, that's kind of the problem. And that's what Final Fantasy 13 really kind of suffers from from the get go. So there's a lot of things that I like, but to, to kind of explain like what that means. So you have, I want to say, I think it's 13 chapters of the game too. <laughs> uh, that's That part's a little foggy. But um, as you're playing the game and the story's unfolding, so how the game kind of goes is you fight a couple monsters and you, you know, walk through a map. The map is pretty linear. There's not towns. Like it doesn't have your standard like JRPG tropes. Like if you want to buy items... Um, 
you stop at a save point and you go into like these different shops and there's like, you know, 10 or however many different shops and each of them like sells like different items and everything like that. Um, but you know, you'll, you, you don't get to choose your party for a while, for a pretty long time. Like mo the majority of the game, I would say. Um, and it depends on how you play the ladder. So I completely maxed final fantasy 13. Like I did every single hunt. I leveled my characters to a hundred percent. Um, like I did all of that. I got all the best weapons and all that good stuff. Um, so it opens up later on, but oh my gosh, through 20, 30 hours, nine chapters or something like that, seven chapters, I can't remember. The game will show you a story clip. I, I don't know, a cutscene. So why? <laughs> story clip, cutscene. Why could I not think of what that was called? But it'll show you a cutscene. The characters are interacting and then you'll run through a corridor, fight some enemies, and you can level up but only to a certain degree. So the game for the majority, you know, of say we'll say 20 or 30 hours, however long it takes with the cutscenes. I'll probably just use 30 because I feel like that's about how long it took me. It's like here's a cutscene, here's the characters that you have to use and it switches them out so you get to explore with them. Uh, it doesn't really open up the combat system, so it starts you off with each character only having limited access to their roles. But it does try to define them, right? So it's like, okay, and then you can only level up until this point. And as you complete, you know, cutscenes essentially, and you watch your cutscenes and the story progresses, uh, then it will unlock different classes for the characters. Then it'll unlock like um, different, you know, leveling up tiers and everything like that. Uh, that's that's really hard. That that's really difficult for a player because at the end of the day what you want to create is a game that says hey like here you can instruct people um you know you can tell them like how to play the game and everything like that but ultimately you want to kind of showcase what the game is how you play it and then open it up and let people kind of figure it out and that's what final fantasy 13 really really struggles to do now that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, but here's like the controversial take. The characters are really hard to listen to. And I don't, I, I've always wondered this. I never really like looked into this too much or like looked this up. I, I'm really curious how the translation or how the localization might have impacted things um, from the Japanese version to the Western version. And the reason why that's important is you can translate dialogue, right? So, you know, an anime might release early and you'll get like a rough translation of it and not everything kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? Cause it's just like, here's what this word means. And some words like we don't have a meaning of, or we don't have a word that's applicable. So you'll do your translation. And then generally when you're translating it, you'll have a localization team as well. And they kind of localize it to make it make sense while still maintaining what the game is, you know, trying to say. So you have kind of two things at play here, right? You have English voice actors, a localization and a translation. So the translation leads to the localization and then you have voice actors like, you know, acting out, you know, that over Japanese voice syncs, right? <laughs> So I really do wonder if there might have been something lost in translation basically during that time or if, you know, the, the Japanese 
version might have been more true to form as to what they were trying to convey. The reason I say that is, my goodness, the characters could not be less likable. Uh, I don't know if there's Saz, I guess, uh, the father character with the guns. Um, he's probably the most relatable character. Um, you know, he's a little bit older. So <laughs> in JRPG terms, he's probably like 25. <laughs> but they, they portray him as like a guy in his 40s who has a son um, who he's trying to rescue. Uh, but other than that, maybe Vanille. I, I liked her character as well. Um, it, mainly because like later on in the game, she's like, you know, uh, sneaky and has interesting ways to kind of like one shot bosses by casting death. So she ends up being like a pretty cool character. But my goodness, uh, Lightning, the main character. So when I when I say they were trying to maybe model her, her after Cloud, I do think that's what was trying to happen. And she kind of has like that annoying <laughs> so i'm so sorry for fans of cloud like that annoying stoic like i don't care about anything like that just like uh like that that teen feel like the melodramatic you know eyeliner wearing teen <laughs> who you know in their 30s they're like oh my gosh that was embarrassing we, we've all been there we've all been you know a moody teenager and everything like that but that's how and she's like your backbone she's like the main character driving this story forward and she does open up near the end, but my goodness, you're you're forced to hang out with these characters through like 30 hours of cutscenes and dialogue and talking and miscommunications. So if you're if you don't like a story uh, where a miscommunication has happened, and uh, there's been movies like that, TV shows like that, where there's a miscommunication between two parties, and if they would take five seconds to talk, they could probably just get through it. But instead, they don't in the game or story or movie, whatever it is, just kind of like makes it a big thing that could have been avoided. And it's just like such a plot point between its two characters, uh, Snow and Hope. They all have awesome names, too. <laughs> so the linearity, right? So, you know, a game being linear, it's like it's a negative thing. It's not about, oh, the map is a straight line with some very, very minor exploration for you know, more than half of the game. That's that's not the issue. The issue is the game intentionally blocks gameplay elements, leveling up elements, uh, the hunt system. Like, it just, it removes and locks features and slowly introduces you to them as opposed to just saying, hey, here's, here's most of the game. Figure out what you're going to do. Because then if you're able to do that earlier on, that might be a little bit more fun. But they want to tell the story, right? So Square Enix really wanted this to be a story-focused game. And a lot of, uh, you know, the they did respond to a lot of the, the feedback and reception of this. And their thought process was, hey, we're trying to tell a story. And it's hard to tell a story when you just, you know, drop a character on a map and it's all open world and you run around. And there is a little bit of truth to that. But there's other ways of telling story than just by cutscenes. You don't need cutscenes and talking to tell a story. You know, you could take a look at, um, you know, Fallout 3, for example. And while there is a lot of, you know, dialogue and stuff like that, when you're just like walking around in the world and like, you know, you see things like destroyed or broken, or you see something off in the distance, that creates the lore of the game or the, the feel. Like you get some story elements there. Dark Souls is a great example of this where good luck explaining the story 
Um, even when I've read explanations of some of the games, it's not super crazy or detailed, but you play the game and while the game's not telling you too much, man, is it intriguing and interesting. And Final Fantasy 13 attempts to tell the story by forcing you with characters and watching cutscenes and removing gameplay elements until later on in the experience. So the issue with the linearity is not that you're going in a straight line. It's that you're basically forced to sit through really cheesy, uninteresting things. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Um, I actually started playing through Final Fantasy 13 again, and it's still a game I like. So at the end of the day, I like Final Fantasy 13. Um, it just didn't meet my expectations and kind of made me sad when I interacted with the characters. Um, but there's a beginning scene where, you know, something happens. I'll try not to spoil too much, but, and I, and I completely understand the phrase that is said in this game and I'll explain in a second, but you know, two characters interacting, one's like a side non-playable character and she goes to one of the main characters, like moms are tough and moms are tough. <laughs> like there's a lot of toughness that, you know, moms exude and I understand what they're trying to communicate. But the way that it just comes off is like, oh my gosh, like you're just cringing through the TV screen is like watching these characters awkwardly interact with each other and give each other thumbs up. And just this dialogue is just oof. Um, so saying all of that, that's the issue where the linearity comes into. So it's not a it's not a terrible thing. Uh, but the way that it's done and the, kind of like the characters and their their limited array of emotions or they don't feel like real people is the best way I can describe it. It feels like you're talking to a bunch of like bricks. So that was probably like the biggest drawback is like, you're, you're going through this for like 30 hours. You know what I mean? Um, and you're just like, man, I want this game to open up. Now here's the thing. The game eventually opens up where you get out of Cocoon and I think you go to Pulse. So there's two different planets. There's like one, you know, small one that's safe. Uh, then there's like this big, wild, open, crazy world where, you know, they're deporting all the Falsy, Lussy, I think Lussy. Um, so basically these people that can use magic that if they don't fulfill a mission or a focus, they turn into a crystal. Um, but long story short, you go on Pulse, Grand Pulse, whatever it's called, and there's just giant monsters everywhere. The game opens up. It's basically like, Hey, we're going to stop talking to you and telling you these stories. And now we're going to like, let you see the lore of everything. For example, uh, I'll give you one great example. So you get on pulse and it's just green and this is giant open world and there's hunts everywhere. So you can go up to these crystals and they're like, Hey, go fight this, you know, enemy that I fell to, you know, I couldn't defeat them. Um, and it just opens up. I think for Final Fantasy, the hunt system or, you know, how the mission system, whatever you'd want to call it, I absolutely love doing that. So you get to go kind of challenge yourself and explore the world and, you know, fight really tough monsters and get cool gear out of it and everything like that. But there's this random Titan on Pulse who's like a 90 foot guy uh, in armor from what I remember. Um, I don't think you ever fight him, which is even more intriguing. Like... That's the thing is like they start telling this lore and like showing you and nobody's talking. So it's absolutely great, you know, <laughs> and you're just like you get to kind of, you know, make things make of it what you will yourself or you can read the encyclopedia that's like built into the game. 
but this Titan, like you'll uh, you'll accept a mission and you go up to him and he'll like kind of just stomp out. There's no way you're beating this guy too. He's like a million feet tall and he just like drops down like a monster boss and you fight him. It's it's like super cool. Like it's just really interesting. You have these Adman toys floating around and they're going to be very important too uh, for this game because here's another thing that's kind of interesting. Gil or the in-game money of Final Fantasy does not drop from monsters. And you end up needing a lot of it to level up items and weapons and stuff like that. Uh, so you you find yourself farming these admin toys bosses that are just like ridiculous to fight. And there's at the time, I don't know if this is still true. There was like the Saz method, the vanille method where you could like, you know, fight them in a specific way to kill them very quickly. Um, and, you know, if they stand up, so if you knock them down in the beginning and you start fighting, you basically have to kill them after you knock them down. And, uh, you know, there's like a, a, a break system built into the gameplay. But long story short, if you don't, they step up, they stomp the ground, and they like one shot you. So the game is also interesting in that aspect, too, because once they drop you off and kind of open things up, you know, you, you, you get to start experiencing tough bosses and things like that. And with those tough bosses as well, it really you you get to really understand the battle system. And at first, early on, because the game locks off so much to the battle system, um, you don't really get to experience how it's actually strategic and interesting. Now, it's non-turn based; it's an action-based combat system, and most of the battles you're just kind of tapping A because the game will auto-select like what makes the most sense based upon, you know, your scan of the enemy. So you can scan the enemy and it's like, hey, they're weak to this type of magic or they're weak to this or immune to this. Of course, most bosses are immune to, you know, most things except like bio or poison or whatever. But at the end of the day, um, you can, for most simple battles, just kind of tap A. And that was another thing with the linearity that a lot of people didn't like. It's like, hey, the battle system is really generic and basic and I feel like I'm just tapping A and you only control one character and if that character gets knocked out and the other two are alive, it's game over. Um, you can just like, you know, retry the battle, which I don't think that's a bad thing. I think allowing people to retry a battle isn't that big of a deal. Some people are saying like, I want to see a game over screen and lose progress. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, however, as you start fighting more difficult enemies, you learn there's a lot of strategy to the battle system. And I actually, for for everything that Final Fantasy XIII is, I do enjoy the battle system and especially the hunts because you go into these hunts and you're going to have to use like specific builds. You can't just use your you know generic builds for your characters. So uh, there's, I want to say like six different classes, I think. And each character is better suited for like a couple of different classes or so. So lightning, you know, she's like a commando and a ravager. So she's like an attacker. Um, and then you'll have like snow, for example, uh, he's like a tank, so he, he can do damage, but he can also, you know, kind of stand there, aggro everything and get beat up a whole lot while your other characters like put buffs on people. You know, some people are good at putting buffs on people. Um, other characters are good at being saboteurs and debuffing the enemy. So when you have all of these characters in play and you can, you can actually choose which characters you want to use and which classes you want to use, the game really opens up. And the biggest drawback is you got like 30 some hours of gameplay where none of this is happening. So all of the good things about the game are locked behind progression. Like we want you to progress and then we'll unlock everything. So they give it to you in snippets. And that kind of hurts the experience because if you're going to if you're going to do that and limit the best things about the games to tell a story, you got to tell a really darn good story or 
if you're not telling that great of a story, really good character interactions. Cause I feel like if you have good character interactions, you, you're engaged, you're listening to everybody. Like you're, you know, you, you can, you can get through it and be excited. Um, so the battle system opens up once you get the pulse um, and you start fighting like all of the more difficult enemies and even some of the story bosses. So there's a, a couple, you know, boss fights, which are pretty interesting that they can definitely um, kick your butt a little bit. But yeah, the game really opens up. And my, my fondest memories of Final Fantasy 13 are getting to Pulse, the game opening up, and literally I just did hours and hours and hours of leveling up my characters, like, you know, um, figuring out what classes I liked, leveling uh, weapons, but also comp uh, completing these hunts. I think there's maybe 40 or 50 hunts. Um, and, and like it allows you to explore the world and everything like that, too. So the game actually does a good job with, you know, creating a newer battle system um, and making sure that it is engaging, but you don't really feel that engagement too much uh, until everything's unlocked near the end. You know what I mean? Uh, and after that, so after you get to Pulse, now you can continue the story. So what's so interesting is I feel like if they would have played the game or maybe ran some testing, which I'm sure they did. Um, and I feel like the game was received really more better in Japan than it was in the West. Uh, in the West, you're kind of competing now at this point with a lot of big Western developers, open world RPGs, like that expectation of, you know, more player control is expected at this point. Like, if you're going to release a game, just drop me into your game, make a cool experience, and just let me figure everything out. Let me go explore, you know, make the game engaging to be in, so to speak. Where Final Fantasy Thirteen kind of struggled with that a little bit because it waits a long time to do that and to open up, you know, what the game experience really can be. So, ended up playing, getting to Grand Pulse, and that was my, my favorite memory. But what, what's so interesting is I ended up doing a ton of hunts. And my buddy and I, we sat next to each other and just like played the game <laughs> all day, every day, essentially, which is hilarious. Like looking back, that's not something I do too often anymore. Um, it's hard to like sit down and play a video game for, you know, eight hours. But yeah, we would wake up, you know, shower, <laughs> play some video games, get some food, play some more Final Fantasy 13. Uh, I did eventually take a break. I, I distinctly remember that um, like taking a break from it for a little bit, uh, like a couple days or so, and kind of coming back to it um, after that. And it was really interesting to kind of like seeing it from both ends. So like I, I was playing it and experiencing it, but I was also watching him play it too. So watching him kind of tinker with the class system and everything like that, um, it, it was all pretty you know interesting. Um, so the game does a lot of pretty awesome things. And there it. it it didn't break my soul to the point of I just can't recoup, but it was really, you know, interesting kind of looking at the situation that Final Fantasy 13, you know, came into um, the positive elements because there are positive elements to the game. Uh, it's one of the best selling Final Fantasy games, if not the best, um, which is really interesting. But I think part of that comes from the games launching on multiple consoles now. Uh, I think that's absolutely huge, and I, I think that's also something that video game publishers and developers need to kind of, you know, look at, where if you're a third-party developer, um, 
does it make sense for your game to be exclusive? So for your company, it could be, you know, maybe Xbox or Microsoft, excuse me, Microsoft comes in and they say, Hey, we want your game on game pass. You know, here's $2 million, you know, for it to be exclusive. I mean, that's pretty beneficial, right? (laughs) Um, But if you're looking at overall sales of a game, you want the widest possible audience to be able to play it on the platform that they choose, you know, whether it be PC at this time, PlayStation, Nintendo, Xbox, you know, wherever they want to play it. If it's possible for you to translate that experience, that hardware, I think that's something that needs done. And I think that's another thing that benefited Square was, you know, they create a new um, development system. So a new engine, which allows them to kind of maneuver the game around, uh, you know, where it can be for a larger audience. And I think that paid off because, you know, it it sold like 10 or 11 million copies or so. So that's that's pretty huge for, you know, a Final Fantasy game. Uh, there was a little bit left to be desired. So if I'm squaring it, I'm kind of looking at this, the reception was interesting and it led them to change things with Final Fantasy 13 versus which became Final Fantasy 15. So Final Fantasy 15 had, you know, maybe like a mediocre story, but better character interaction and an open world. So they kind of like took that feedback and applied it to their next game. Uh, Final Fantasy 13, <laughs> oh boy, also spawned two additional games. So there's two sequels here. You have 13.2 and then you have uh, 13.3, which is about lightning and time travel. I don't know. I didn't get into those too much because after I finished up Final Fantasy 13, I went back, I completed every hunt, got every item, leveled all my characters to 100% max. And that was kind of my send off. Um, you know, I, I did everything I wanted to do in that universe. And at the end of the day, I played 13.2 for a little bit. I personally just I didn't like it because I feel like they, you know, changed up the battle system, which I thought was probably like the strongest point of 13. Uh, And you're trying to like tell a story that doesn't feel like 13 felt like 13 felt like this grand story where, you know, all six characters are going to have, you know, their beginning, middle and end and things are going to be wrapped up. And, you know, it's them versus the world. It normally is in RPGs. Right. Um, But on the flip side, too. 13.2, 13.3, 13.2, 13.3, it just, it felt like they were cramming in story, you know what I mean? So I'll, I'll leave my judgment for those, like it's not something that I wanted to play, but if you ended up liking Final Fantasy 13 or you enjoy the characters, you have three, you know, full games that had two sequels, which is really interesting. So that's something, you know, kind of positive, I guess you would say, where if, if you are a fan of a specific game, you know, you got three versions of it, which is uh, pretty cool. So... Saying all of that, Final Fantasy Thirteen, the game that broke my soul. <laughs> As you could tell, I'm 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 okay, um, but it really changed how I view games and how I kind of buy into the hype, you know, so to speak. And it's not that Final Fantasy Thirteen was super hyped, but I kind of let you know my excitement for the game kind of get ahead of me, um, and it also changed my perception of the series. Now, this is probably the most interesting because after 13, I haven't really been too interested in further iterations of the series. And that's like, that could be just life in general. You know, your life changes, you get busier, you got to work, all that stuff. Um, It it could be, you know, partially that. But also, that Final Fantasy 13 as an experience kind of led me to believe that I might like Final Fantasy 
you know, up through 10 when the creator was involved and you get these like really specific experiences, but more so there's, you know, a handful that I'm like, I love these games. And then, you know, some of the others I'm like, ah, they're okay. They're still good. Um, but that's the biggest thing. So when I say broke my soul, it changed my perception of one of my favorite, you know, video game franchises where Final Fantasy 15 was coming out. And I'm like, that game has been in development for like 10 years. I'm, I'm not interested. I saw it. It didn't grab me like Final Fantasy has grabbed me in the past. And while 16 seems to be an interesting direction in which they're going, the excitement of the franchise for myself ended with Final Fantasy 13. And that was like a tough pill to swallow because <laughs> uh, I really love the series. But now I kind of reflect back and look back on it. And I realize that I like certain games that I experienced and I like them for what they are. And as you get older, too, when you start like replaying things that you enjoy, you kind of, uh, you know, you either learn, you know, hey, I did like this game or I didn't like this game. Uh, but luckily, so far, I'm batting 100 hundred uh, percent when it comes to games that I liked at the time, like I still like them now. So we do take a look at Ocarina of Time or in particular Final Fantasy, like, you know, I still like five, six, one, ten, seven, you know, etc. And you can throw a couple others in there too, probably. But yeah, this, uh, I will say, and I don't think there's anything else to really say about the game. Uh, Final Fantasy 13, I, I think it's a good game. Um, I just don't think it's a good representation as to what Final Fantasy can really be. And I feel like due to them, uh, Square Enix creating a new game engine and not really knowing, you know, what, where, what direction did they want to go in, right? So I think it's a good game, but I don't necessarily feel like it's an amazing Final Fantasy game. Um, I'm glad it sold well because it allows Square Enix to, you know, continue the franchise for, you know, new gamers coming into the the series and everything like that. I do think that is a positive. Um, but Final Fantasy 13 kind of ended my excitement for the franchise. And now I can look back and say, hey, these are the experiences that I loved and I'll always have that. Uh, so this wraps up episode two of Gaming's Lost Memories. I'm your host, Big Reed, and I appreciate you listening and chatting with me here. I know this is a one-sided chat, but uh, I appreciate everyone that listened, and I'll see you guys next episode.